0: Welcome to the Australia Sews podcast. This podcast celebrates the Australian home sewing community and shares stories from everyday sewers transforming their lives and their wardrobes. My name is Louise Sherry. My guest today is Nerida Hansen, owner and creative director of Nerida Hansen Fabrics. If you've ever been to her website to buy fabric or patterns, You will know that Nerida makes the world a more colourful place for us sewists to play in. Nerida works with surface designers and other types of artists to turn their unique designs into fabric, homewares and other products, but it's fabric where Nerida's heart sings. She loves seeing what home sewists make with her curated fabrics and has some big plans in 2023 to be a lot more present in the sewing community. Nerida speaks so openly about this being the hardest year of her life and not just from managing her ADHD diagnosis 18 months ago. She said it's time to take the boxing gloves off and look after her mental health and one of the ways she is doing this is by taking her fabric empire into a whole new direction. You're going to love all the things she has planned for you. Here's Nerida Hansen. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Nerida.
1: It's not a problem. It's lovely to be here.
0: Before we do get started, as I ask everyone, what are you wearing today?
1: Um, I Well, besides the warm jacket because it's so cold, I've got a, um, my puff sleeve top, actually. I've got about 50 of these. Um, they're just such an easy, everyday throw-on. And I love, I've got it in my um, pink and white gingham, the extra large one in a tensile linen because it's sort of a really good trans-seasonal fabric and it's long sleeve and, yeah, comfy. I've, I've, I've seriously got about nine of these, I think, in my wardrobe. And, um, yeah, I love them.
0: Well, when you find something you like, you just want to make millions of yeah. them, don't you?
1: <laughs> I do. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And I've got versions of as well. I've got cropped, a couple of cropped ones. I've got, the of course, the v-neck and... Um, Well, the soiree is a bit similar, the soiree pattern I've got, but the new add-on blouse that we're going to be putting out soon, I wear that a bit more dressy occasion, but the puff sleeve blouse I wear every day, (laughs) pretty (laughs) much. I love it.
0: So you are the owner and creative director of Nerida Hansen Fabrics, and you have such a big passion for supporting surface designers, textile designers, and emerging Mm. artists to turn their unique designs into fabric. but you also have a creative agency which goes beyond fabrics and supports artists to get their work out there on things like bags, cups, stationery, and lots of things. But before we get into all that, let's just set the scene for everybody and go back to when you first got your dream job, and I'm putting it in inverted commas, at Target, (laughs) because you thought you did at the time. So can you tell us about those early, early days?
1: Yeah, so that was, that was a fantastic, fantastic job. I'd already had two fashion labels prior to that. And I had a, another little homewares business that I ran just from home. And I got that thinking, what a fantastic opportunity to learn the industry at that level. And also I just had a baby, I think nine months ago. So I'd missed my, the fashion label that I had at the time, I'd missed a season. So I thought this is a good time to have a break and go into the workforce. So I was put into a baby gifting department which was a bit strange but fun. I I was sort of assigned to create baby gifts for Target. It didn't really work out I must say. Um, they, They made a lot of people redundant within about two months of me being there and they moved me to kids and teens bed linen. So I was and I was a junior buyer there so the bedding buyer wanted someone to take over the kids and teens range because it was a, a big job for her to do all of the adult and kids. And um I was like, Bed linen? Oh my gosh, what is that? And I was like, Oh my God, I get to actually buy for kids and teens. And that's just, you know, dream come true. And subsequently, I was launched into the world of licensing. So I worked with Disney, I worked with Warner Brothers and Eric Carl. You know merchant wise and all those companies on all the licensed brands now that was a very it's always a very polarizing industry those big licenses for consumers but i loved working with disney it was just fabulous i loved all the creative behind it and i loved their style guides and but part of me also while i was there wanted to um incorporate independent designers as well because i'd seen target in the us do it very successfully and I knew some of those, well, I didn't know them at the time, but I, I did follow a lot of those designs and things of that were happening. At the time, Target Australia was in a really sort of low place and they they, were, they didn't feel like it was very low-lying fruit for them. So frustratingly so, I continued with the big-name big, big name licensing. Um, and then when I quit my job, which was basically partially exhaustion, partially now <laughs> that I've found out I have ADHD, which is, well, I've probably quit every job I've ever been in. <laughs> I went and pitched all of those independent designers that I'd would i uh, been in contact with for Target to Spotlight and they licensed a lot of them straight away. So that was really fantastic. I think we licensed
0: about 51 designs or something straight off the bat. So you did you did, sorry, approach your managers to say, can you get these independents out? Like they're doing some amazing stuff and they just wouldn't have a bar of it.
1: No, not at all. Like um, I think the first one I wanted to do was Laura Blythman, the beautiful Melbourne independent artist. And um, I could just see her work because I'd go to find those people in those little makers' markets and think, God, mums are going to love this stuff. But they just didn't have the vision. And I think a lot of the management had been there for so long. They're so ingrained in what they were doing. And, you know, if hot pink sells, you keep it hot pink. That was always what happened. So... I you know hours were working at the time it was like just keep doing hours and mm. just keep doing hours yeah. and I was just like oh but there's so much more that we could do and I had the power to do it you know and I think I never remember my first ilu- hand drawn illustration that I I did an in-house design with the in-house team and and they hated it they were just like oh that looks like a pig it looks messy it's this and that but it sold really well because it was something new and unique and a bit different um and then sure enough, when I by the time I got Laura Blythman's bedding into Spotlight, it sold really, really well. Mm. So it was um like really well, as in it, sold out you know within a couple of weeks. And then from there I got experience further with licensing and taking on the make its brand as well. I did all of the fabric design for and was fortunate enough to be able to print all of those
0: fabrics. and
1: that was that all happened in about three or four years. So yeah. twenty
0: seventeen is when you left target.
1: No, yeah, about 2017, yeah,
0: I think so. And you became...
1: Oh, no, no, I think it was actually 2016. Was it? Because that was the first year I went to Surtex with the designers, yeah.
0: So when you say Surtex, that's a trade show in New York? Yeah. So you became a design licensing agent when you quit your job. You said, I'm going to start my own business, I'm going to try this agency stuff out. What is a design licensing agent?
1: Well, it's someone who represents artists and negotiates between the client and the artist. And looks for opportunities um so Certex is a fantastic show for that or was um hopefully it still will be after covid but you know you get buyers from every big retailer or small medium-sized retailer across america and they come to actually look at interesting and unique art and pick up on some new trends that um from designers that they liked and actually license their work so they're really big in licensing in America. Mm. Um, They've really got an amazing model. All retailers do it.
0: Did you know that in um, from your target days that these trade shows existed and you could actually have a booth there?
1: No, no. I had no idea. I don't know how I found <laughs> that out. Um, I think it was probably by following some of the surface artists on mm. social media or which really social media wasn't even that big at the time. But then when I once I found the website for Surtex I was like oh my gosh this is like this is my dream place. I've got to be there and pull together a bunch of great artists, and we all sort of paid equal share to, to get to get me there and all the designs and the booth. It, it's so expensive to do,
0: mm.
1: um, and it just went from there. So that that was sort of a journey, very much in itself. And I continued on to do Heim Textile in Frankfurt and. Premier Vision in Paris as well. Amazing. Three three CerTech shows before COVID.
0: A a big learning curve though, because you're entering into this world for the first time. What were the kind of some of those challenges? Um,
1: I think oh, everything from being a newbie in the space (laughs) to pricing to negotiating. Like pricing is always a difficult one when Mm. you are approaching a client who, you know, who says, "Oh, how much do you charge for your art?" It's like, "Well, how long is a piece of string." and if you say 1450 US dollars i go got to be joking or you say 600 US dollars and i go oh yeah of course because they used to pay 900 so you know it's like it's a really incredibly fickle industry to start out in and i think not really i really had a very strong self identity when it came to the design and the aesthetics that i represented but i didn't have a sense of self in the place of you know what is the value of my agency and the artists in this agency none of us had experience or or really much background to to sort of go by and then of course i think the challenges of understanding too how this whole industry works it's not just going to a show and making money it's about marketing yourself about building your identity about chipping away it's all about chipping away for years for these artists in the textile industry and surface art industry and I didn't quite understand that either and I think I would have approached it slightly differently because you're not there necessarily to make money at a show you're there to establish and um, establish those important connections that are going to be your important clients Mm -hmm. and that happened within a couple of years anyway but yeah, massive learning curve which is uh, funny
0: because you never really aspired to get into the fabric business
1: no well this is what look i i was always into textiles because i had a, a sports label and a fashion label mm-hmm. and the print the prints or the the weaves and the the fabric types were always incredibly important to me i was i was always really aware as a as a designer of needing natural fibres, breathable fibres, especially for sports where I couldn't have anything nylon or polyester yeah. and design. I was right into because I've spent a lot of time in Copenhagen, um, my partner's from Copenhagen. So my styling was like really, I, I felt it was strong. And I, I had this real passion for Scandinavian textiles and Nordic textiles. So when it came to going to Certex and picking up lots of clients in the fabric industry, it was kind of like a, a just a bolt out of the blue saying, oh my gosh, this is this is where I need to be because I've always loved fabric. I've, I love design and I'm very entrepreneurial. And hey, these clients of mine are not buying the best designs, what, what are they doing? They're mm. buying all this stuff and I've got all this other stuff that would just kill it. So I, one of the clients in South Korea, I just said to them, hey, would you mind if i print some of my own fabric as well and they were like yeah sure and i think i printed 30 meters per design <laughs> and bought it in on put it online and it all just sold out
0: yeah so you you saw all these yeah. artists they had huge potential no one wanted to give them a break so you no. thought i'm just going to print their fabric yeah. you had six thousand or, or so followers at the time on instagram yeah. and yeah. it was successful yeah. straight yeah. away. yeah
1: and i remember going to finest keepers market i think the first one that blew me away was brisbane and jocelyn priest uh, had lots and lots I had hundreds of meters of hair fabric and these uh, had this tiny little booth and it was there was queues of people and all these amazing sewers from Brisbane were just queued up and they were just desperate for this fabric and then I had other makers who just went oh my god I love your fabrics and so some of those makers are still my clients now and this wow. is like you know four or five years ago that was like wow and, and those markets not not only just sort of put the brand out there but it it Mm. got me connected to the sewing community and i couldn't believe how oh just damn lovely everyone was you know it was like this is a really amazing industry and so
0: yeah was that how narrative fabrics was born pretty much
1: yeah yep and of course um (laughs) you'll see anything that i've done really well ends up in spotlight in the end but um (laughs) you know i just have the faith and i i have a vision and often a lot of the big retailers, there's too much bureaucracy around them to mm. actually delve into something really new. Mm. Um, and so,
0: yeah. So what yeah. happens then like when someone purchases your beautiful fabric, so much has happened behind the scenes to get to that point. How do you meet all these amazing artists and then how do you then, you and your team team up with them to turn their artwork into fabric?
1: Um, well, the meeting part's easy now because uh, I just get new portfolios in my in- inbox every day. But, um, and I've I've often reached out to artists who I just love their colouring. I love the way that they work. I'm working more and more with original artists, um, as Mm. most of you would see from the fabric. So it's original painted work, which to me is really, you know, a definition of art on textile. Um, And so getting the artists is no problem. It never has been because it's often to an opportunity that a lot of artists would love to have, but Mm. it's not something that comes, you know, really easily. And then it's a matter of um, digitising or some of it is, of course, digital work and some of it's quite simple repeat patterns, Um, but some of it is fine art and I've just got very, very clever people around me who have the skills to digitise and create the repeats out of original artwork. So it does take a lot of skill. Some of the artists I work with, original artists, do it all themselves. And they're very, very talented at both. You know, they'll actually paint and create. Um, You know, people like Ellen McKenna, Margaret Jean. um, Oh, shivers, there's about 10 of them. So sorry, sorry, I can't remember all their names right now, but my mind's a blank. But there's just a lot of them are incredible and talented. You know, and there's other artists like Holly Sanders, Melanie and Greta Laundy. they're fine artists and they don't ever really use a computer. So so I would actually digitise it for them. So it's, yeah, it's a really, um, really, really amazingly fun and interesting
0: industry. It's amazing I mean, how many designers yeah. you've worked with over the years like Holly mm. Zollinger, Brooke Gossen, Ellen mm. McKenna. What yep. do you look for then? In an artist not just their design but is there something specific about them that kind of Um, catches you
1: yeah color color is would be the number one it's colors beyond the elements or the theme of the fabric it's it's absolutely everything like you could have a beautiful floral motif but the color's not right it's it's no good to me at all Mm. so it's the coloring and the colorist within that artist and like you mentioned holly zollinger and she's always been one of my all-time favorite favorites because she'll use sometimes only three colors or two or four and it's the most exquisite stunning palette that you've ever seen and the way she she puts those very simple colors together make the most stunning garments as well because it's not over the top it's um but then it's not muted either it's it's quite you know mm. strong and bold and her strong colors are still warm and soft like i don't like my aesthetic is not um, rich. It's not harsh. It's not cold. It's all <laughs> lots of pink, <laughs> it, you know. And, and Holly, Holly and I would laugh in the early days because she hated pink. She never used pink, and I used to say, "Oh, how about something pink?" And she was like, "Oh." But yeah, and then it's colour, and it's now it's also about uniqueness and mm. willingness to take you know a risk, and just people who who story tell. Like Lisa Congdon is an amazing storyteller. So her elements and her messaging is really strong so that's also really important for me as well
0: mm. that
1: people have a connection to their art and not just throwing you know prints and patterns around on their computer
0: yeah you mentioned to them the may gibbs fabric at spotlight which really brought me back to my childhood mm. did you work with both is it victoria mcgrain and from the scenic route and ellie Whitaker on that collection
1: uh ellie Whitaker in the beginning yep ellie helped us put some yardages together but the rest of it was really mostly curated by myself victoria didn't i don't think victoria ended up doing a lot of it um i had a couple of in i do have a couple of designers who work with me freelance Mm -hmm. or in-house and we would work on sort of seasonal collections and do recolors and just sort of add new elements every time we were coming up with something new. Um, the May Style Guide is, is extremely extensive. It is, there's thousands of elements to oh, use. Wow. It is problematic or it was in the beginning because they were very old, you know, and I remember Ellie Whitaker doing the first collection. She spent hours just redrawing oh,
0: wow. because
1: the, the, the elements weren't even in a format that you could actually just whip off um, using Illustrator um but what about we uh, look every step of the way it was such an honor and i'm still privileged to be able to do all of the creative direction for my give so if you see it in uh, big w or spotlight or any other store you'll a lot of well the color palettes the yardages they're still under my creative direction so i've just completed about two months ago completed the style guide for uh sort of 23 24 mm. so well, sorry 23 actually um and we've got a bit to tweak for 24. So that's, I've still got that privilege and I hope that that's very long-lasting because I love being able to apply a vision to such incredibly
0: beautiful artwork. And they approached you as well. It wasn't like you sought them out.
1: No, no, they actually did come to me, but I think I was very willing to go somewhere with it. And at the time, Spotlight had, I think Spotlight had tried it, you know, had it years ago and. Uh, and they were sort of not too keen to do too much of it. And so they offered it to me and I was like, oh, my gosh, that would just be the most exciting thing to do. And, yes, yeah, so it was a real privilege. And, it, look, it was hands down one reason why Nerida Hansen Fabrics went gangbusters in 2018 because, or um, was it, 19, yeah, 2018, because I introduced that and we could, I could not get enough of it. So it was a really, really good time for the business.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about Aboriginal artist Holly Sanders and why you fell in love with her designs? Yeah,
1: well, Holly is oh just just her and her nature she's very, very, very connected to her heritage and her community and her mob, and she is such a beautiful storyteller. She's very, very connected deeply to every painting she does, which look, most of the Indigenous, all of them, I would say Indigenous designers I know are, but she's also so incredibly modest and but very caring. So she's always involved in something to benefit those less privileged than her within her Indigenous community. Um, and it's her colours that I really, really fall in love with as well. So She's just a beautiful colourist and I think the connections that she has with other brands too always delights me. So she just does beautiful collaborations with other brands and when you're part of that, you feel privileged Mm. to to be part of that storytelling.
0: Do you collaborate with many male service designers or is it largely a female-led industry?
1: No, I don't actually. Um, They must exist. They do, but I think for me, like Michael Black is obviously we, we, we will be printing a lot more of his fabric as well. He's been a huge success for me and he's actually digitises his own artwork as well. But he's not a, he's ne- never started out as a surface pattern designer. He's an artist, a great, and, you know, mural artist. And so that's been really successful. And I have approached a couple of other male artists who I love, but they're, it's a tricky thing for a lot of artists too, and in particular some of the male artists I've spoken to in that, when you're very prolific as well, it's hard to see your designs on products in your local market and things like that. So that's what I've come across with a couple of the, the male designers. They're they're sort of all painters. Hmm. I I have I do know a couple of male surface pattern designers, but their aesthetic is just, just doesn't align with mine. I'm very much I'm very feminine in everything that I do, and and I haven't come across that person yet
0: mm.
1: i uh, well in actual fact there's a couple in my inbox that i've lost and <laughs> one of them in particular i'm sure he was from geelong as well i can't find him if you're listening ever <laughs> please contact me again <laughs> i will get to the bottom of that inbox one day but i have <laughs> been approached and there's actually two of them and i just think oh my gosh and i'm also um got a very exciting collaboration with an american artist coming up to which um, Mm. which will be announced sort of in due course but I'd love to have more guys on board I'd love to Mm. yeah it's just it's very much a female oriented industry for sure I would say 98% wow Yeah. yeah
0: and I know you love seeing the home sewing community post photos of their makes using your fabrics does it still feel really special when you see your fabrics being Um, turned into garments
1: Oh, I've shed tears constantly. I have to tell wow. you, I do. It's really, it really is emotional because I don't, I don't actually have a lot to do with it from the point of view of driving that VIP community. We and and it's exploded like it's doubled in the last sort of eight months, and the joy of seeing what people are creating and making. I can't even tell you, even if it's a simplicity pattern from the 60s or a, a, a hack of our patterns or some of our patterns and the pride and joy that people get from making. And it's the feedback that they that the other members on the VIP page are giving them and the encouragement and the tips and the tricks and the, mm-hmm. oh, it's just, oh, I, I often have a little tear of joy and it's just, yeah, it's immeasurable how much joy that brings me. And it's really my next steps in my own personal journey. I will be a lot more involved in that space because life's just been so chaotic that I've, I've been, I feel like I've just been an observer of what happens there. And we've had the beautiful Renata who's um, been sewing for us in, over the last few years, always popping in as well and giving people tips and tricks, um, you know, using her expertise kind of on our behalf too she's very she's very good like that but yeah i'll be a lot more involved in that it's really my next thing is like learning how to sew well myself because i'm a terrible so i've i've just never had the time or the patience but I will be definitely um, firing that banana up now that we've got our new studio.
0: <laughs> that was one of my questions. And, I was like, does she yeah. sew? I mean, you don't have to, obviously have to sew to be in this industry, but I was just so curious. No,
1: I never did. So I never sewed. I've always had a sewing machine and never, I, you know, I'm sure everyone with ADHD will tell you they have every instrument and implement for everything in the world. Um, and I've just never had the patience and the time. But the good thing about ADHD d too it's it's um hyper focus makes you very very good at different things and my hyper hyper focus now is sewing so my hyper focus is really on new pattern creation um i've got a whole lot of Mm. new well a whole new collection of sewing patterns if you like very different from my other ones coming out in 2023 and i'm going to be pretty much 100 percent involved in the process from start to finish and we'll be documenting that. And a lot of part of that is myself and and my team here sewing everything. So um, whilst we still have lots of ambassadors involved in our business, it's we're going to be a lot more involved in that side. So that's something that you know I, I really need to find something in my life now, apart from business, that I, I enjoy. And, I, and fortunately this crosses into my business as well. But
0: I could so, think of surfing. Yeah. I could think of going for runs
1: oh see i surf but for me to be able to sew in my work time is like doesn't get any better than that
0: you were diagnosed with adhd in at the age of 48 before that though sitting down and concentrating for hours on a garment probably would have been too difficult
1: oh no i couldn't even sew my everyday top like i would just i'd start it and um i'd cut And also because I was often in our busy studio when we had a huge business, there's always Anne or someone would be there to help me out. So, you know, I'd be just wafting off and doing other things, (laughs) which which was my life and still is to a point up until my diagnosis, you know, start something and then you just walk away.
0: (laughs) Did life kind of make a lot more sense after that diagnosis?
1: Yeah, oh, just instantaneously things came together, but... I don't think it made it easy at the time. It I just understood a lot more. And it's it's one and a half years on and I'm still struggling a lot and it's actually got worse because of the stress and the pressure of the last year. It's been sort of insurmountable. So mm. that's played a part in my behaviour and symptoms and it's not been fun. Um, oh, that's not good. But yeah, so that's been really tough. But... Um, you know you have to take time out with these things and whilst medication helps you focus and helps you work it's not the answer to living a better life so i'm sort of just starting out on that journey now and that's why the sewing's be- going to become really important and slowing the business down a lot and yeah just taking it a little bit so easy you sound
0: like you're, you're taking it in a little bit of a different direction in 2023
1: totally different direction it's uh, slowing down is the number one key.
0: The news of you slowing down. How does your team feel about that?
1: Well, I think everyone understands. It's 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 getting smaller. The team. It's um life's just been way too challenging. The business got so big that it and you know once the the ships stopped coming, um, which was the end of last year and Christmas, and then my autumn stopped being held up when China closed, when Shanghai closed down for twelve weeks, was heartbreaking, and I lost my warehouse and mm-hmm. lost um, a lot of my team members. Then, and so, even more still now, it's got to slow down even even more. So, I mean, I, I am in the fortunate position where my brand is big enough to, and there's so many other incredible opportunities at at play here and one of which is just so incredibly exciting in the usa that it means i can sort of slow down here and just enjoy the beautiful fabrics that are coming through the beautiful patterns and just that sewing experience and connecting with my community as a person not as a brand Mm. because the last two years i felt like my person my personality has been run by four or five other people which is Mm. what happens when you get really big and so you lose connection to your audience and i've been very because i love the business so much i i love watching instagram and i love sitting on the vip page every night you know before i go to bed i scroll through it and just have a little giggle about comments or I mean, in awe of what people have sown and posted. Um, and, you know, one of the most incredible things was one of my customers is in Denmark and she's one of my mother-in-law's best friends. And she posted some cushions that she made for my mother-in-law in my mother-in-law's house. And I hadn't spoken to my mother-in-law for, I've got the best mother-in-law, by the way. She's Ruth, hello, if you're ever listening. She's the best mother-in-law. And it's just like that happened on my business page and it was just so beautiful and that's happening a lot so it's about reconnecting as a person not as a brand here in Australia especially and making our um, fabric available more worldwide but but giving but not having to run it you know not having to be having a huge space cutting and packing and you know I can't wait to announce that next step and here we're just yeah very much consolidating but my team you know yeah, while there's been some incredible people that, you know, have been lost from the business, they all get it. Everyone's been through the heartache. Everyone who worked for me went through the heartache. They saw what happened when we just didn't get deliveries for weeks. That was week.
0: during COVID, wasn't it?
1: No, well, there were two years of hell, but the third year was worse. So what happened in the first 18 months is that we actually thrived because this, the the freight situation... Whilst in the beginning I lost tens of thousands of dollars and that sort of was a challenge because I used to air freight everything and the air freight, my first Holly Zollinger range of 2019 was it or 20 whenever COVID had come on a flight, it was a huge drop and it was four times more of the price. It was the last flight out of South Korea and um then i put everything on ships and the ships were just like fantastic for eight months because the ships had never been so full they were humming everyone was you know thriving but then they got slower and slower and then they got redirected to la instead of auckland and melbourne because they were paying four times the price for a container in the end uh toward 2021 mm-hmm. factories were shutting down for you know omicron wave Uh, logistics was at its knees in Melbourne I had stock in Melbourne for from the 25th of December to the 25th of January it was 60 kilometers away and I could not access it and it was the first time and I never really had a stock take sale I had an empty warehouse I came back from a week's holiday which I didn't rest in and I just walked into the warehouse and bawled my eyes out because it had never been quiet at that time and it was so heartbreaking and then and, but that was just the start of it. The issues out of, you know, quality issues out of China and India and South Korea started because cotton was at a, it was hard to get. You couldn't just print on cotton all of a sudden because everyone was using it because every fabric business went crazy. So there were quality issues and factory issues. And then, and then, but then the worst of it was Shanghai closing down with my stock. Uh, there was no recovering from that really, so I had to start from scratch. And and um, but you know, I was so tired by then. I was like, okay, let's just start again. I haven't. I realised I didn't really start again properly, and that's where I'm going now in 2023. It's like, okay, really properly start again. Um, so the stuff that I have lost understand completely, and um, that's the hardest thing of running a business because you, a small business like this or small to medium business, you just love the people that work for you. It's like a family. And you and, can't um,
0: do it on your own either. It's, you need a team of really no, good people around you.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, I do have a really great small team here. Um, but, yeah, we're looking, looking a lot more at other opportunities too to grow the brand and the business. Like I say, with the U.S. opportunity, we don't have to – all we have to do is supply the ideas, the beautiful fabrics, the designers and the marketing, and they take care of everything else. Wow.
0: When will yeah. you be announcing this?
1: Well, I just kind of did, didn't I? But I'll announce <laughs> it really, really soon, like within a couple of weeks. So we are going to be available much in much bigger way than we are here in Australia. Hopefully, the postage rates are good from America because you'll be able to get everything over there. Oh my god! Um, my selections here will be what I can manage, and I think that's what my my customers here. You know, I guess the the shift for me is I just. For me it's about my health my family's health and well-being and the fabrics will be more beautiful they will be yes they will be varied but it won't be the same Uh, I think it'll be better but it won't be the same we won't be having big sales we won't be driving volumes of fabric they'll be very mindfully designed very mindfully curated and very mindfully sourced as well so it, it does change you know there won't be any sort of Oh, I've got way too much stock. I've got to have a clearance kind of thing. Mm. It's just not going to be happening again. We don't even have the space anymore. We're renovating a, a beautiful little garage into this beautiful fabric space. And wow. yeah, I've just, I've been spending the weekend insulating actually.
0: wow. So you won't be <laughs> going brother. back to bricks and mortar? You're not going back to the bricks and mortar stores?
1: Um, Not myself, but i I really, I've got a really good plan. And this is part of slowing down too. Is how do I get, existing bricks and mortar stores involved in this brand and this business so we've got some really good ideas about that and i i I will be talking to some beautiful retailers soon so that we hope you know maybe there's some Nerida hansen concession stores within a store Mm. if you like so you know make it available for retailers to have Nerida hansen in their store and also it's my dream in 2023 to launch a new community sewing program so that we can encourage and support anyone who wants to start a community sewing group we've, I've, I've had lots of people reach out to me in the past and I've been wanting to help people but never had the time and that's so I'm actually you know one of my first things in the new year will be to finding we've already found some incredible sewers who are willing to help who have very experienced in this space, but providing a resource for community sewing, because we can actually then help them access fabric as well, a lot more easily and, you know, with good pricing enough to make it really accessible Mm. to supply them with notions and fabric and even hopefully machines. So if people need to get a a six or 10 machines that, that, that we can help facilitate that too. So it won't be something that will be running, it's just something that we will be supporting, and that that hopefully will connect more and more people to the fabric. So,
0: what are you yeah. going to do with Narrative Enhancing Creative, which is your creative agency where you support designers um, and artists?
1: Well, that's kind of doing really well on its on its own. Actually, we um, I don't yeah, we're we actually done some really incredible pictures with some big retailers at the moment. So. I think there might be a couple of really nice collaborations in big retailers next year with Narita Hansen and designers. Um, and we've got a couple of really interesting projects in the pipeline with some wholesalers as well. So we might see some really exciting products for sellers and sewing lovers out in gift stores by, the, by next summer as well. Lots of lovely companies willing to work with us. And um, it's about just... Sort of also that's one another reason why i really want to slow the business down so that we can provide those opportunities mm. and it still will be very focused around fabrics and sewing but product lines although although one of the product lines is is homewares and mm. um, incorporating our designers into beautiful homewares ranges and yeah hopefully we'll see a lot more of that and we are we are exhibiting again at Heimtechs in january oh wow and Sirtex, Sirtex in, um, in uh, may so I will be promoting it again. But Heimtechs is always a great place for me to meet with the fabric distributors in Europe as well. There's some beautiful distributors there that, you know, I talk to on email and it's, it's going to be a good chance to actually get there and show them
0: our collections.
1: So it's as been well a as... couple
0: of years, hasn't it, since you've yeah. been in trade shows?
1: Yeah, it's been a long time now and um, it's, go- it's it's exciting time to sort of get back and connect with, with those with those buyers I mean it's a lot easier for me to do that now because we have so many beautiful designers we've got so much beautiful work we've got hundreds of designs that um and lot and all my designers have new designs as well that we can share and sell and license with other companies so that but I you know I just I'm just for me that's just now a little bit more um you know someone will contact us now and we will say yeah and I've got a gorgeous um so Bron Alexander who's one of my designers as well she's in New Zealand she is absolute whiz at putting together my in curating my ideas into a pitch and we've got some beautiful documents out there now in the market where we're able to actually really communicate how these beautiful designs work for their product wow so if anyone wants to work with Nerita Hansen and her designers give us an email because you know it's it's really enjoyable and we've just got it's just more opportunity for those designers of mine because it's been tough for me to be able to support designers through these last 12 months because I simply could not get the mm. fabric here. And we, we give 10% royalties to all the designers based on what we sell. And I haven't been able to sell enough to support them.
0: How's the Field app going? So that was the world's first online network for designers to get their work out there in front of the buyers.
1: I cannot tell you how incredible that is it just launched again so
0: what? it just relaunched
1: it just relaunched like on Monday this week
0: I didn't think and it went I, away
1: no it didn't go away but it 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 failed dismally and a lot of aspects and the company that I got to develop the first App actually went broke. Oh no! As it was released, and the support was terrible, and I had to go and find a different platform. And then through that process, that it's been running on another platform for a while. Through that process, I met this incredible company. Um, Matthew's a the director of the company. He lives in Canberra, and his team are in Vietnam. And I've never met a more savvy, intelligent group of technical people in my life all young really really fluent in English just fantastic tech people and they've put the the app into a new format and I only just got on it last night for the first time and went oh my god I mean of course I've seen the progress through all the iterations through the development of this third iteration but it's exactly what I wanted, and a lot more. So that's um, and the artwork on it is just to die for. So we were actually going to hold off the next wave of buyer marketing for all the buyers until the you know end of this month, but there's so much on there now we can probably kickstart mm-hmm. that. But again, the the beautiful thing about that is the team in Vietnam take care of everything. So I just meet with them about different strategic things, and and as I get a little bit more time, I'll be able to be Again, more involved and connected with the design community, but the app speaks for itself, and it's what it what it was always supposed to be. I wasn't supposed to be guiding people through that on a daily basis. It you, it looks fantastic. It is beautiful to navigate. So it will be sort of will be encouraging people who have brands and or retailers to jump on there in a couple of weeks to
0: mm. go
1: and search and have a look at this incredible
0: artwork. The listeners can't go on this app. You have no, to be uh, creative. Yeah, you have to be. You have
1: to be sourcing design. Yeah, and and that's that's because it's a trade show. And when you go to Certex or Heimtex, you literally can't walk in the door without legitimate credentials that you are a buyer. So it's the same as that. You will be able to search by a designer though, the general public, and have a look at all the beautiful designer profiles and snapshots
0: and stuff mm. like that. Did you release Nerida's fabric market recently where you can sell your pre-loved fabric, clothing, yeah, um, so products made with Nerida a fabric?
1: Yeah, so that's a tester. Yeah, so that, uh, but again, that's my, this software, Come, it's, look, it's a very clunky machine at the moment. It's an out-of-the-box product. What that is about really is is that there's so many Facebook pages reselling, you know, de-stashing Nerida Hansen. There's so many beautiful garments that have been worn that people can still sell. So that was a bit of a test to the market to see. It's just a very clunky, out-of-the-box platform, like a marketplace platform. My new business partner in Patternfield Software and I will develop that out properly next year because we've seen lots of people use it, lots of people interacting with it. Mm. And and the other thing that I'm very passionate about is making sure that we don't consume more cotton than we need to because cotton is, it can be grown and processed extremely well in a regenerative way or it can be grown and processed in a way that's actually harming the planet Mm. incredibly so by having a marketplace where people can exchange buy and sell old fabrics they can keep connected to the community and they can just even make money from garments or fabrics that they've kept a lot of people love the old styles that we brought out it's it's part of that circular concept of making sure that this brand is truly sustainable in the end that everything nothing of nerita hansen go ever goes to landfill Mm. there's always something that can be done with it and then i hope that in 2024 i'll be sitting here saying okay this year is about building out tutorials to use all your waste scrap fabric or you know just just which look we'll be doing that a bit of that in 2023 anyway but it's about you know really valuing cotton, really really valuing not mm. just cotton but even the tensile and the tensile linen because tensile is derived from a forest. Now those trees have have to be cut down to produce tensile, and even though I use lensing tensile, which is the most almost zero carbon tensile that you can get, and the process of lensing is is very is toxic free unlike other tensils that they're very um the processing's very hardcore and it's and it's quite toxic Mm. but lensing is not but it's you're still chopping down a tree and even though lensing regrow and regenerate all their forests to to draw the cellulose fiber from it's still a huge carbon dioxide consumption to chop a tree down and grow another one so a growing seedling actually um emits huge amounts of carbon dioxide. So just because you regenerate a forest doesn't mean that it's good for the environment, it's actually not. We should be getting our all of our fabrics from natural sources like cotton or flax or milkweed or other things that are either weed and grow rapidly without water use or mm. are grown mindfully and sustainably what do you think
0: about bamboo i've heard mixed reactions about the processing um, of bamboo
1: yeah so that's the problem so bamboo grows really really rapidly with very very little water it doesn't need any care it doesn't need any pesticides because like the flax plant where we get all our linen from bamboo and flax has a natural antibacterial properties it doesn't need pesticides which is a good thing so even if it's not certified organic like my linen is not certified organic but it is organic because it it does not need pesticide treatment to grow and our source does not use any pesticides but the treatment of bamboo is hideous so if you get a bamboo fabric that's anything but a really poo creamy beige color then it has been toxically treated and processed now it doesn't there there, there are some bamboo sources that aren't there's some really good bamboo sources that aren't but there's probably only 10% of the bamboo you'll find that has been treated properly in a really environmentally conscious way. And I, I do use, um, I am using Tanboosal for my muslin this summer. So I love tambusil, the, yeah. the so name. Yeah, so a is um, a brand. It's it's like a signature of of the way of of the company that derives that processing or has generated that processing system to make sure that the bamboo is treated in a way that's not um, toxic. Like anything, can you trace that fabric and where it is picked, grown, milled and processed? That's becoming more and more and more important because the fashion industry is the second largest greenhouse emitting industry in the world, the second largest, it's disgusting. And we, we have to do something about it now and the small steps that we can take as indip- individual people is ask, what am I buying, and does that company have the credentials to know where their fibres are coming from, and how they're treated? And now it doesn't. It's not just about the environment. Pesticides. Oh my gosh, the disablement and the death of farmers around the world from pesticides is happening. It's real. It's daily, and people just do not understand the impact that fast fashion has not just on the, the environment but humanity and yes it may just be 10,000 people but that's 10,000 people who are working in environments that actually cause disablement and mm. death now it may be uh, may not be 10,000 it might be millions i don't know i am it's it's something that i really am looking into at the moment because i through covid it was really hard to trace cotton so I used to know where my cotton came from, and then when it became scarce commodity, it was either we'll take this cotton or, or nothing. And at times I just had to run with the cotton that I was told was BCI certified, but you don't know. So apparently in India, there's only 10 million yards of GOTS fabric, but 20 million were sold. So where's that other 10 million coming from if it's not you know, organically grown? But the factory has a certificate for yeah. some GOTS that they... they they had certified three years ago. Doesn't mean they're using that, that yarn mm-hmm. now, but people are still accepting the certificate. So, so yeah. It's such a, an opener Yeah, it's a mind-blowing industry and, a, and it's got to stop and it's part of why I want to slow down as well. And I'm so thrilled that my American supplier is using, except for the French flax, is using all organically grown American cotton and it's completely traceable and it's just so wonderful. And yes, it's gonna be expensive, but you are paying for the best quality cotton that is completely organic, pesticide-free, grown in America. So the footprint's small, uh, it's, yet yeah, fa- fantastic.
0: I also saw a video, and this isn't unrelated to the fabric, but related to the printing. You were printing with Brooke Gossen at a factory in Brisbane. Were you testing out Australian printers?
1: yes i i look i still probably will but that unfortunately has been paused we were all good to go uh left bank are fantastic they're in they're just out of brisbane they're bought in the to the country a big Pronto um cornet pronto s printer which is the same printer that spoonflower used the new ones must be a use. big ass printer <laughs> it's you look it's as big as an apartment our apartment in copenhagen oh. i think or maybe bigger <laughs> it's huge um and I was, I actually did bring over uh, thousands and thousands of metres of fabric to start that and we were good to go. But unfortunately, Left Bank have been hit with the same crisis as a lot of companies in that they cannot get the staffing that they need to support it at the moment. Toby's actually got my fabric now and he, he'll be running it. So if anyone's interested in printing with Toby, it's direct with him at the moment, still on my beautiful substrates, but... I hope that um, when Left Bank's ready to have Nerida Hanson fabrics, we will definitely come on board. Um, We were hoping that that, and, and, you know, this is why I haven't had fabrics either for a while because I'd stopped ordering because we were just going print on demand here in Australia. But look, it hasn't worked out. I think for me, my mental health's been really, you know, on the verge regardless of having further challenges and difficulties. So I just found it too difficult and I, i just thought no you know what for the rest of this year i'm going to revert to my natural textiles printer in china who do beautiful work we know them really well and now we've got sort of like a two to three week turnover because we're also air freighting because the sea freight
0: yeah Mm. and
1: so it so and so it's become more expensive the u.s dollar is obviously killing us as well but at least we've got our beautiful fabrics back we've just launched some gorgeous stuff today or yesterday from scenic Root in Georgia, Daphne, and we've got lots more coming. So, yeah, we'll we'll get there in Australia as well. And left bank, you know, they're trying really hard, but like a lot of big companies, they're just being smashed by, you know, resourcing. It's just been really difficult
0: for them. Mm.
1: So, yeah, we'll get there.
0: It's almost like two steps backwards, one step forward. But you're still doing it. But you're also listening to your inner voice, telling you what you need right now.
1: Yeah. Look, I've been. I think COVID all of us all of us would say i think everyone could relate to the analogy of being in the boxing ring every single day you get out of bed through covid and particularly post well not that we're over it but this more post-covid year has been the worst it's been the toughest because you didn't expect all this to keep happening and it got it actually got worse for many businesses and resourcing staffing became difficult for many companies but like if it, I feel like the last 18 months in particular, I had the boxing gloves on the minute I got out of bed. I haven't really been able to exercise because there's too much to do. Mm. I haven't done my morning walks. I haven't surfed for sort of eight months. But you get your boxing gloves on and you just got your fists up and you're just bashing all day because there's so many challenges that you have to overcome. And then you think you're out of the ring and you're back in again. And I got to the point, it was only very, very recently when the print-on-demand couldn't start. And I thought, no, Nerida, you are in control here. Stop fighting and just let it be. My customers are not gonna run away. That's just the way it is. Some of my staff have had to look for new jobs, but ultimately, it's, you can't keep fighting. I've always done that, I've fought my whole life. And because with ADHD, there's no stopping. You do not stop but i got to the point where i was so exhausted and i just had to stop and say right gloves off i surrender i'm giving up i totally giving up and even since that decision i'm I, i'm keep giving up more and more because i keep seeing the light at the end of the tunnel going okay the less i do the better it will be and fortunately i'm very fortunate that i've got all these other wonderful opportunities happening so that so that you know whilst we don't have the hundreds of drops of fabrics that we used to there's still going to be lots lots of good stuff Sounds and exciting. as i said as i said the fabrics that we've got now oh my gosh today just stunning and beautiful high quality stunning designs really well curated i think it's the best stuff i've bought out in that that's coming in the, in the next months and you know it yeah it will be a bit limited we will be able to bring back things that are really really popular though and we with this quick turnaround, we've been able to put some back ordering online as well. So people, if they miss out, which we've had lots of people always disappointed that they mm. miss out on something, we, we can now back order. So as soon as something sells really quickly, we pop it on back order. Mm. And, and it's you're not waiting for like months. You're just waiting for maybe three weeks. So, yeah, that's really good.
0: All right. We're going to end with a quiz, hopefully a little bit more lighthearted, um, <laughs> learning more about you. So my first question is true or false? You didn't have an office desk until after you were diagnosed with ADHD.
1: True. Never had one.
0: You couldn't sit still enough to to sit down at your desk.
1: Never sat more than one hour. Didn't see the sense of having a desk.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is it true that you have a massive following with quilters who really love using your designs in their quilt making?
1: Huge. Because we launched quilting in America in Houston in and. 18, and we sold thousands of meters of it through E.E. Shank, a beautiful distributor over there. But because of COVID, we just, um, we couldn't get over. So yeah, it's it's still used.
0: As a kid, you grew up in an artistic and creative family and studied fine arts in high school, and you were always selling things that you made. Do you remember some of those things you used to sell as a kid?
1: Yep, first one was uh, bookmarks, so <laughs> using my um, gouache, what were they anyway some gouache and on card and i'd contact them and sell them at the local market for 35 cents or something <laughs> my second product was hot corn cakes corn fritters outside That's the hot. local milk bar and then i went on to uh, doing wooden bowls painted wooden bowls and then eventually just went into sportswear fashion as a fashion fashion designing for a sportswear label of my own
0: (laughs) that was my next question you started a sporting label and you sold golf clothes
1: yes I'm a mad golfer oh well I haven't played since my kids were came along because it's it's very intense I used to play three times a week and my brother-in-law is a professional golfer so we used to follow him around the European tour and um, I've just fell in love with golf fashion and it was Wonderful, but unfortunately I had a baby and I, my clients were like all over Australia, New Zealand and I couldn't travel. And it also first fashion label. There's so many problems out of China that I just didn't prepare mm. for. So that didn't last, but yeah, it was wonderful. And I'll get back into golf soon. That's one of my things.
0: But you also love surfing. So where do you go to surf in um, Victoria?
1: Oh, look, I just five minutes away from my house. It, I, I, I live between Phoenix Beach and Ocean Grove so in Bowen and we've got beautiful nanowaves here. Yeah, easy, easy nanowaves. They're, it's a fantastic place.
0: And my last question, you've already kind of answered this. Have you got any travel plans in 2023? I guess maybe non-work-related travel plans or are they all work-related?
1: Um, well, I haven't told my husband this yet, but um, when I go to Heimtech, I'm going to go skiing in St Anton for the week before. Is that in the US? Is- no, it's in, it's in Austria and it's where Ooh. my hus- husband and I met. But my assistant at Heimtex is also a skier, so we're gonna go skiing.
0: Um, is he not going?
1: Uh, no, we can't afford it. <laughs> but we are going to Denmark in, oh, fingers crossed, look, right now we're not really, I don't know where we're going, but we, we are planning on going to Denmark in July, June, July, the kids' school holidays. Fortunately, my kids get three weeks off at that time. But I am also tying in Premier Vision Paris at the end of it, so that is a bit work related. But three weeks prior to that, I'll be spending time with family in Denmark, and then hopefully, if we can afford it, we'll do um, Greece or head back mm-hmm. to Port- Portugal, the place I absolutely adore. Love to take the kids there. So a bit, bit of Europe, and then of course New York in May for Certex. But I definitely will try and tack on. Uh, I'd love to go and see um, Lisa Congdon and other designers in Portland. I'd love to go to Portland while I'm over in the US. Yeah, so a bit of bit of work and a bit of play nice. as well. Nice. Yeah, yeah, trying to tack on a bit of play to each of the work trips.
0: Oh, well, thank you so much Nerida for chatting with me and giving us such a great insight into the world of design and your world and what's coming up in 2023
1: yeah it's really exciting and sorry about all the, the heart i bet you didn't expect that i didn't but deep from the heart uh it gotta, gotta sorry, be real it is this has been the toughest year of my life and i'm not going to say it wasn't to anyone <laughs> anyway, anyway it's all good you live and learn
0: thank you for listening to the australia sews podcast to find the show notes to this and all previous episodes go to AustraliaSewsPodcast.com Now, back to sewing.